Good morning. Let's find our spot and stand together as we worship the Lord through song, singing out a great hymn, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Let's sing this out together. God sent His Son, they called Him Jesus, He came to love, heal and forgive, He bled and died, to buy my pardon, an empty grave is there to prove, my Savior lives, sing it out, Christ for this morning. You can be seated. Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church of Wixom. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with the Sunday p.m. community group, Please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet in homes most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Young men, the future leaders of Wixom Group, will be meeting tomorrow evening, Monday, November 13th at 7 p.m. Please consider attending for a great evening of instruction and fellowship with other young men interested in developing into future church leadership roles. As always, snacks will be provided. Join us in the gymnasium for a special Sunday evening Pie and Praise Worship Night on Sunday, November 19th at 6 p.m. We will have a great time of worship, testimonies, and fellowship. Please bring a favorite dessert to share. There will be no midweek gatherings the week of Thanksgiving. In just a few minutes, we'll be dismissing children four years to the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. The ministry of First Baptist Church is funded entirely by the voluntary gifts of God's people. This is an important part of our worship as we unite together in a tangible way to advance the priorities of Jesus in our community and beyond. If you'd like to participate in worship by giving, please utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, request a weekly gift be sent directly from your bank to the church office, or you can give online at fbcwixen.org and click on the giving tab at the top of the page. Thank you for partnering together with the rest of the church to advance the cause of Christ. 
If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you would like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixen.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you today. Welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're a guest, I've already met several guests today, and we just want you to know we're happy to have you here with us today. And we hope you enjoy the worship service and you're encouraged by it this morning. Happy Veterans Day weekend. I hope you've had a chance to tell a vet that you're grateful for how they've served. Our church is blessed with many veterans. And on this weekend, on a yearly basis, we try to at least say a quick thank you. We appreciate uh, your service, veterans, and we're grateful to have you as part of our church family Can we do that really quickly again this morning? If you are a veteran, would you please come up? And we promise we won't embarrass you. We just want to hear how you served and say thank you. So would you come up to the front? And we just form a line across the front. All of our veterans, you're not alone. Come on up. There's a lot of you. And uh, we just want to say a quick thank you to you guys. Come on up if you would. All right, come on up. We'll just form a line across the front so we can see everybody. And then what we're going to do is we'll just have you introduce yourself and uh, let us know in what branch you served and if you were deployed somewhere where you served. And uh, we'll just go all the way down the line and then say a quick thank you when we're done uh, introducing everybody. We'll start on here with Ted. How you doing? Ted Buckman, uh, United States Marine Corps Infantry. I was, uh, God graced me enough to not get stuck in Iraq or Afghanistan. So, <laughs> Thank you for serving. Hi, Tim Barber, United States Navy. I served uh, post-Vietnam peacetime, uh, 78 and 79 in San Diego, California. Thank you, Tim. My name is Steve Krastoff. I served in Vietnam in 1966 and 1967. I was one of the lucky ones to get home. Oh. Steve, thank you for serving and thank you for coming to be with us today. Yeah. My name is Joe Kern. I served in the uh, Army Reserve. Thank you, Joe. Hi, my name is Wade Bowmer, and I served in the United States Navy. Worked down at the engine room. All right, thank you. Hello, Scott Haddix, Army Engineer, Sapper, uh, 2009 to 2017. Thank you, Scott. Brian Wright, uh, 323rd First Medical Group, and uh, served during the Vietnam era. Thank you, Brian. Jim Parliament, uh, U.S. Army Aviation, 58 to 64. Thank you, Jim. I'm Rob Gibbs, U.S. Army, two years, uh, one year in Vietnam, and uh, very thankful and grateful to be here this morning. Yeah, we are too. Thank you, Rob. My name is Aaron Kirchner. I served in the Air Force, uh, two tours in combat during the Iraq War, 2001 to 2005. Thank you, Aaron. I'm Stan Gidley. Um, Two years in the service, 64 through 66, and one year in Vietnam. Thank you, Stan. Jordan Wolfenbarger, 3rd Battalion, 7th Marine Corps, um, Operation Enduring Freedom. I was in Afghanistan. I had the uh, honor of serving with this guy right here. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Brett Nomeyer, United States Marine Corps, 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. 
I did two combat deployments in Iraq during my time. Thank you, Brett. Norm Gates, U.S. Air Force, uh, 68 to 72, uh, Titan 3 space vehicle. Thank you, Norm. Don Skidmore, United States Army Reserve, United States Air Force, served all over the world. Thank you, Brother Don. Dave Edwards, I served in the Navy from 1959 to 61 or 62, and we were in the era of the, when John Glenn went up the first time, the astronauts, so we were involved in that. How about that group of veterans? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Thank you. You can be seated. Veterans, stay for just a second, if you would. Young people, I think it's really important for you to see this. Young people, today is the Lord's Day. Today we honor Jesus, right? But as a church, we're very grateful to be able to honor these men and women in our church who've served. We don't even like fully grasp and realize the sacrifice of those that even right now are on the front lines protecting our freedom so that we can gather and there's not bad guys outside coming after us, right? We get to be in freedom today in security because of men and women like this who serve. And our church, men, is very grateful to not only have you guys as veterans, but many of you as leaders, not only leaders in ministry, but men that we look to for spiritual guidance. We're super grateful for all of you. Thank you for serving and hope you have a great Veterans Day weekend. You're appreciated and loved here. How about one more round of applause for them as they go to find the seat? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. We are honored to have you as part of our church family, so thank you. Many of you have been dropping off boxes for Operation Christmas Child, and if you noticed on your way in, there's quite the collection that's being made out there, quite a pile of boxes. Every one of those boxes, remember, goes to some place in the world that is needy, third world countries, and every one of those boxes contains not just a gospel invitation, but also each child who receives that box is invited to be part of a Bible study that shares Jesus with them. It's a really incredible thing. Thank you for participating in that. There are hundreds of boxes out there. Today is the drop-off deadline. However, if you can get your boxes here by Wednesday, there's a little bit of a buffer period, a little extension, so they won't leave the building till Wednesday. If you forgot to bring yours with you or this is the first you've heard of it, you can certainly work on putting some boxes together and bringing those in here to the church building before Wednesday. If you took with you some of the boxes that church provides and you didn't get a chance to fill them up, we could use those back here so that we can inventory them. And so if you did not bring those with you, over the next few weeks, if you would bring those empty boxes back in, we'll store those and prepare those for next year. We've been talking a little bit about the upcoming sermon series for 2024. We're very excited as the, the pastors of the church, the preachers, your preachers are excited about putting together a series of messages on the life of Jesus. We've talked about it a little bit. We've challenged you to read the Gospels in preparation for it. We've also invited people from our community to come and to hear about Jesus Christ in this series of messages from the Gospel that we're calling Following Jesus. 
Today, as you leave, if there's somebody you'd like to invite, we have little Gospels of John that we're giving out totally free. But on that Gospel of John is a little card with a QR code. And when you scan that QR code, it takes you to this video. And we want to just show you a really quick video promoting this upcoming series. Have you ever been totally locked in and focused on following something? When I think of that concept, I think of following a plow truck down the interstate in the middle of a winter storm here in Michigan. Trying to keep between the lines and wondering exactly where to go and needing somebody I could clearly see to follow. For a Christian, this topic and idea of following is incredibly important. First of all, we're called to follow Jesus. But Jesus said once we follow him, we're called to make new followers. And so following the leader is an important part of the Christian life. I'm very excited in 2024 and a few weeks before that to preach a series of messages that we're entitling Following Jesus. The whole idea is to go with Jesus chronologically through the Gospels. I've had the privilege of preaching through each of the four Gospels. But this time, in 2024, we're actually going to look at the entire life of Jesus through all four of the Gospels, chronologically. It's going to be much more thorough of a study, but still impossible to talk about everything there is about our amazing Savior. In fact, the Apostle John, when he was writing his Gospel, said that the books of the entire earth could not contain the details of all that Jesus has done in the hearts of man. And so we want to invite you to be a part of this. There are several ways that you can actually be involved. First of all, we want to invite you to attend. 10.45 every Sunday morning, we'll be preaching messages from the Gospels on the life of Jesus as we follow the Savior through the Gospels. Secondly, we'd like to invite you to read with us we put together two reading schedules for you to follow along with us through the Gospels chronologically as we prepare to preach these messages. And then in the new year, throughout 2024, we'll be giving out new schedules and new updates so that you can follow along with us each week in particular. Lastly, we have these little bracelets that say follow on them. A reminder for you to pray about this series of messages and a reminder to invite other people. When they ask you what that means, say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but more particularly, I'd like to invite you to come with me and hear this series of messages. It all begins on Sunday, December the 17th, two Sundays before Christmas, as we look at the events leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And then join us for the entire year, 2024, as we focus on following Jesus together as a church. So as you leave today, we encourage you to pick up one of these bracelets just as a reminder and as a, a maybe a way to start a conversation with someone. And then pick up uh, as many of those Gospel of John booklets that you'd like to use to invite someone to come. Most of you have a Bible. If you don't, take one of those for yourself. 
If you have a Bible, take one of those to invite somebody else. It'll take them to that video, and um, hopefully um, you'll be able to successfully invite some friends and loved ones to join us for some of those messages in the coming new year. Let's pray as we begin our service together. Father, thank you for your goodness. And this morning we want to just say thank you for our veterans. What a blessing to see so many in this church who have voluntarily given up part of their life and security that we might have security and safety here. Lord, we, we trust you ultimately and we thank you ultimately for the country that we get to live in. But we also want to just pause and thank and honor these that have served faithfully. We pray that today Jesus would be lifted up in the music that we sing, in our response to your word, in our fellowship with one another, that we would see Jesus more clearly and that he would be magnified not only for this room, but for the community around us. Lord, we thank you for our guests that are with us today, and I ask a special blessing and encouragement for them this morning. We thank you for all that you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Stand together as we continue to worship through song, emphasizing the fact that our Savior is trustworthy. We can trust him with our eternity. Let's sing this out together. I will trust my Savior Jesus when my darkest doubts befall. Trust him when to simply trust him. Seems the hardest thing of all. Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. I will trust my Savior Jesus, trust him when my strength is small. For I know the shield of Jesus is the safest place of all. Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. I will trust my Savior Jesus. He has said his way is best, and I know the path he's chosen leads to everlasting rest. Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my privilege it is to know as a believer the fact that Jesus is there with you every day, every hour, every minute, every second. He is there with you, going through the best of times and the worst of times, knowing your situation and already knowing the solution. And it's a privilege that we get to trust in him today. Let's sing this song out together. Jesus is mine. Jesus is mine. Strong. 
to play was written 150 years ago, um, actually this month, um, and a little background behind it, um, Horatio Spafford was an attorney in Chicago, um, and he lost some significant investments in uh, real estate in the uh, 1871 Chicago fires. Uh, 1873, he and his family had made plans to travel to England um, and they were going to join his friend D.L. Moody uh, in his evangelistic campaigns. Uh, because of some of the complications from the, the properties after the fire, um, Horatio ended up having to stay behind. He sent his, his wife and his family ahead with plans to meet them. Um, tragically, uh, the ship that his family was on collided with another ship, sank. All four of his daughters were among the casualties. So when Horatio received news of this, he got on the next ship for England to be with his wife. And as he was traveling across, he was informed that they were sailing near the point where 
uh, the ship had gone down. And it was, it was there in what was his darkest moment that he wrote these words. And it's just a profound testament of, of faith and trust in God. Um, no matter my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul.
Thank you, Samuel. Talking about God is trustworthy today. It's a perfect song to get our minds and hearts ready for the preaching of the word today. I invite you to turn to Psalm 112, if you would, please. Psalm 112. During this calendar year, we've been going through the book of Psalms in a series of messages we've entitled Albums of Worship. It's really a theology where we're asking two questions. Who is God and what should I do about it? Who is God and what should I do about it? How should I respond? I appreciated the message that Pastor Johnny brought last Sunday morning on God is sleepless because of God's power and provision and preservation. He reminded us that we can rest. We can rest. It doesn't mean that it's a Christian's calling to be lazy, um, But it means that we can sleep in peace knowing that we serve a sovereign God. He's got this. He's got me. You might have noticed a connection in the themes of the last few messages. They're all very closely related. We considered God's sovereignty on the 29th of October. And then last week we were considering the fact that we can rest and sleep in God because he never sleeps Today we're talking about trust, and so because God is sovereign, sovereign, I can trust him enough to rest. They all fit together, but we want to look at these individually because there's so much truth for us. This morning, our God is trustworthy, and I just want to ask you a question. What do you trust? It's interesting, the psalmist in Psalm 112 goes after two trust issues, And it's amazing that written thousands of years ago, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing with the word of God, because these are the same trust issues that I struggle with. In fact, I was telling Holden last week as I was writing the message, God was dealing with me on on a couple issues. And I'm like, I can't preach this without dealing with it myself. Like, I've got some trust issues. I've got some security issues. Issues and the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need to hear today. He's going to talk about control issues He's going to talk about money issues You know what control issues are, right? I want to do what? What I want to do That's my control issue and money issues. I want to get what I want to get That's my money issue and the Holy Spirit through the writing of the psalmist here in Psalm 112 Deals with both of these things. What where is your security? 
In what do you trust? Where do you find your peace? This is what the psalmist is after in Psalm 112. I just want to read verse 7 as we begin. It says this, that a good man shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed or steady, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady, fixed, trusting in the Lord. This verse is sort of in the middle of our passage, but it kind of captures the theme, the heart behind this passage of scripture we want to consider this morning. So before we do, would you bow your heads with me and just pray briefly as we start. Father, we acknowledge that without your help, without the Holy Spirit, we can't understand your word. We certainly can't apply it correctly. And so we come into your presence asking for your help and thanking you that because of Jesus we can approach you and because of Jesus we have hope and because of Jesus Lord you've you've taught us what this idea of trust and faith is all about but this morning Lord some of us need to go a little deeper you've taught me Lord that I need to go deeper in my trust of you not just for eternity not just for my soul but for daily living would you teach us today what you have for us from your word and we promise that we'll give you the glory we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently watched with some friends um, a short movie called Free Solo. Maybe you've seen it. It's the story of Alex Hanald, unassisted climb of El Capitan. Now, normally when a climber climbs a mountain, they use ropes and they use carabiners and they use pins and they use all of these things as a safety net to catch them if they fall. The interesting thing about his climb of El Capitan was that there was nothing assisting him. He had no ropes, he had no clips, he had no pins, nothing. Really, what struck me is the the only piece of equipment that he relied on was his shoes. That was it. I mean, he had his fingers and he had his chalk stuff that they put in the bag and whatever, but he was putting all of his trust in his shoes. And and before he makes the climb on that, that morning, It's dark out and he's all alone and the cameramen literally are so nervous they can't even watch their own cameras, right? They're turning around backwards like, I can't believe this nut is doing this. If you're not a Heights fan, you probably don't want to watch it, okay? But if you're okay with Heights, this is a good one, okay? So he he climbs this mountain, but before he climbs, he's sitting there and he's lacing his shoes. And I'm thinking, watching him lace his shoes, man, like I don't think I have a single pair of shoes I would trust my life to. And I've, you know, I've been tying shoes for like over 40 years now, but I still don't get it right every time. And I'm just not sure that I would trust my shoe tying skills and the quality of my shoes with my life. But that's exactly what he does. Tying your shoes as a climber unassisted is sort of like packing your own backpack. You got to get it right. You, You mess up, you're dead, right? So I just want to think about that in terms of what do you trust? What is your backup plan? Where does your security lie? As I mentioned, Psalm 112 really deals with kind of two big issues that we have. And so our message this morning just has two points. The first one is this. Trust his plan, God's plan for living instead of your own. And I want to just clarify before we get into this really quick, because this this might be a little bit confusing. I'm not talking about his will. So a lot of young people particularly are pretty excited about trying to figure out what is God's will, his plan for my life. And that's, that's important. And what we teach the kids here is, hey, just do God's will today. You'll find yourself 10 years from now in the center of God's will for tomorrow. 
But that's not what we're talking about this morning. I'm not talking about the will of God for your life. What we're talking about is God's way of living, his plan, his way of doing life. Let me read the verses to you. We're going to look at the first four and think through it in terms of God's way of doing life. Verse number one, praise you the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments, what he says to do. His seed, this man's seed, shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Now again, as we, as we look at this passage, remember this is a song and it's written for the Jews. And so we have to apply it carefully to our modern context But we serve the same God, and the character of God is still trustworthy. And there's some things that never change, and here's one of the truths that never changes, is that there is a blessing for delighting in God's commandments. There is a blessing for delighting in how God wants humans to live their lives, for trusting that God's way of doing life is better than your way. And really, obedience is like really fundamental to success. It's really fundamental. On Wednesday nights, uh, the guys have been going through some minor prophets. And a couple weeks ago, Holden was teaching in Malachi. And and God asked this question in Malachi chapter 1. He says this, if I'm your master, why are you not obeying? I don't understand. Like you call me master, but you don't do what I say. You're not in obedience. And so I can't bless you. In our parenting class here in our church, we remind our parents that your first responsibility for your kids up to age five is to teach them that they live under authority. They're to be obeyers, professional obeyers. Kids, that's your job, okay? Be a professional obeyer. It's the one thing that you're commanded to do clearly in Scripture as a child. Obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Well, because it's foundational for life, right? Parents understand if my kid never learns to obey authority, they will fail at life. And this is true for our relationship with our parents, but this is also true for humans' relationship with God. Think about Adam and Eve back in the garden. They were given basically one rule, right? Don't eat that tree. But what did they do? They disobeyed, and it ruined the relationship, and it's ruined humanity since What did God start the Bible with? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, and Deuteronomy. We refer to it as the law, right? Why? Well, these are God's commands for his people. This is how you're supposed to live life. Scripture starts with this because obedience is foundational to a successful life. Now, in these four verses, the psalmist talks about the blessing on a family and on a house that lives in obedience. And, and I want to just remind you up front, he's, the psalmist is not talking about, quote-unquote, Christian karma. Okay, God is not obligated to bless you because you do good. God is not obligated to do that. He's not obligated to give you good when you do good. Here's what the psalmist is saying, I believe. That biblical living works. It works. Have you ever thought this? Like, you know what? It just like the Bible knows how people are supposed to live. Like if you just follow the commands of Scripture, it life's just easier. 
It's better. And it makes sense because the creator of human life wrote the Bible. And we're not just created in his image. We're designed by him. And God knows how life works best. And that's why you see this all throughout scripture. These proverbs are axioms for life, which basically say, hey, do life God's way and, and things will work out better. It's not an obligation of God. It's just how life ticks. And he knows how we tick because he created us. Here's how the psalmist says it in Psalm 37. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressor shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. Biblical living works. To say it another way, the way of the transgressor, what does scripture say? Is hard. It's difficult if you live in rebellion. For example, sexual sin, greed, pride, addictive behaviors, all of these things lead to destruction. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, keep feeding your flesh and what you're going to get is death. But if you feed your spirit, what you're going to get is life. And this is a principle all throughout Scripture, that when we feed the Spirit, God blesses with life. When we feed the flesh, uh, it doesn't work. Life does not work as well. Have you ever noticed how unhappy the world seems? I mean, just watch the news, for instance. Screaming hateful things at one another. People drowning in destructive behaviors. Why? Well, they're living in what one author calls a graveyard world. It's just a world of death. There's sorrow and oppression and poverty and pain and suffering and hatred and murder and war, all directly or indirectly the result of sin, violating God's commands. That is not the way it is to be for God's people. Purity and kindness and humility and sobriety, all of these things lead to life. In fact, I was just, just on a Wednesday night talking to a couple in here and I said, can you imagine, like, it's so cool that we get to come in here and hang out with believers. I mean, it's just really remarkable. I think this is an underappreciated part of church life. Like, the world is largely in chaos, right? And for the most part, when we come in here, there's love and there's unity and there's kindness, and life works at least for an hour like it's supposed to work, right? People are getting along, they're singing the same thing, nobody's yelling at each, each other, nobody's shooting each other, we're just loving each other and trying to honor God together. Life works like it's supposed to work for a little while together here on Sunday mornings. This is because when we obey God's commandments, life works better. That's what the psalmist is getting after in these first four Verses. It should cause us to delight in what he says. It should cause us to delight. You see, obeying God's commands does not just bless a man's life. Verse number two says it blesses his family. And in fact, it goes further and it says it blesses the entire generation. When people live right, it blesses everyone around them. This is why God said to his people in Deuteronomy chapter six, make sure you tell your kids what I'm commanding you. Because I don't want to just bless you, I want to bless them. I want their life to work correctly. Teach your children diligently all of the time the things that I've commanded you. Now this takes a little bit of trust. 
Are you with me? Because what we want to do is we want to do the life the way we want to do it. I want to do life the way that makes sense to me. You naturally want to do life the way that it makes sense to you. And what the psalmist is saying is, I want to delight in God's commands and do life the way it makes sense to God. That's what I want to do. But that takes some trust. Is God's way of living really better than my way? Can I trust him with my life, not just my eternity? Will I follow the path of grace and goodness and godliness? Will I walk in the light, his light, verse number four, rather than my own light? Can I trust him enough? Here's what James says in chapter four. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. James says, how arrogant. You don't have any idea what will be on the morrow. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You ought to say this, if the Lord will, I will do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. And then we usually stop there. But verse number 17 is the, is the point. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What James is saying is this. is like, Look, you got plans. All right. Hold on to them loosely because they're probably going to change. But would you try this? Here's the plan. Do good. Obey the commands of God. Do life his way. It takes some trust. This is really what it's all about. Solomon, at the end of his incredible experiment on how to get satisfaction out of life, we read it in Ecclesiastes. At the very end of the book, he says this. Let me, hear, let me tell you the conclusion of the whole matter Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's just, that's it. It just boils down to keeping God's commandments. An unbeliever might say, well, how oppressive is that? Glad I'm not a Christian. You guys got all these rules you got to obey? I mean, how oppressive is your God? And what a believer says is, no, how delightful. I've got instructions. I've been told what to do. I, I, I. I have a book that tells me how to live life. John said in 1 John chapter 5, his commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. They're there for my good. The psalmist in Psalm 19 says, Moreover, by them, by God's commands, your servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And I just want to remind you this morning, you can trust God's plan for how to live your life. You can trust God's plan. I don't know what it is for you this morning, but there's, there's probably, like there was for me this week, something specific where you say, you know, I know what God's word says to do, but this is kind of what I want to do. It's not quite the same. It's close, but it's not quite the same. I, I see what God's word says, but I'm not sure God knows best, and I'm not sure I can trust that. I want to trust my way. And what the psalmist says is, hey, you want to be blessed? Trust God. Lean into his way of doing life. Number two, trust his provision instead of your own. This is a little bit surprising, but it's incredibly logical that he goes after our money next. Verse number five, a good man shows favor and lendeth. 
He guides his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be an everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. This is an incredible parallel in scripture. And because it's poetry and because it's Old Testament and because I read to you in an old English, you might have missed it. Okay, but here's what he's saying. You can trust God with your money. And and here's how you can tell if you're doing it or not. When you trust God, you give it away. When you don't trust God, you hoard it. This is a truism of human life in all areas of life. For instance, if you don't trust the banking system, you hoard $20 bills in your mattress or somewhere else. I don't know where you do yours. I just told you where my $20 bills are. Man. If you don't trust the supply chain, you hoard toilet paper and non-perishable food items in your basement. I've done that too. If you don't trust your wife to give you seconds, you hoard a big piece on the first time through the line, right? Stories told of children in London during the World Wars learning to hoard food and not being able to get away from that habit, just hoarding Food. What's interesting about that story is that American um, soldiers were often regarded as heroes by children because American soldiers had chocolate and they had it in abundant supply. Why were the American soldiers okay to give away their chocolate? Because there was a lot more where that came from, right? When you have a source that is unlimited, you can give it away. Does that make sense? I have a source that is unlimited. If I had just an unlimited supply of $20 bills, it wouldn't cost me anything just to start handing them out to everybody, right? It's unlimited. Everybody have one, right? But if I feel like my source is in jeopardy, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to need those back, okay? I'm not sure I can trust my source enough to be generous. It's easy to give when the supply from home is endless, If you don't trust God to provide for your life, you will hoard your resources. But when you when you understand that the supply is endless, you give. He says here, you'll show favor and lend. Verse number five, you'll do it with discretion. You do it with discretion. You think about it. You make sure you do it wisely. But a secure man can afford to be a generous man. Does that make sense? A secure man can afford to be a generous man. He says in verses 6 and 7 that even when evil tidings come, and and this kind of pushes back on that idea of Christian karma, so to speak, bad stuff does happen to good people. We live in a cursed world. In fact, this world's falling apart. Someday it's going to melt with a fervent heat, the Bible says. But the man who finds security in God is steady because God is unchanging. And by the way, Church, I think this is going to be tested increasingly for modern American Christians in the weeks, months, and years to come. This is going to be tested. Think through this with me for just a second. Where do you find your security? Is it in peace and prosperity? What if the peace is gone? What if the prosperity is gone? Are you still secure? 
Is it in the economy? Is it in freedom? Or is it, like our money says, in God we trust? Is that true? Do we trust in him? If you trust money, it's really hard to let go of it. What if something happens and you need it? Right? What if something happens? <laughs> I, had a, I was going to give somebody something. And then I got an unexpected bill in the mail. You know, you ever done that? Like, I, I want to give this. I want to give this gift to Sandra really bad. But, ooh, I just got a, oh, man. I can't afford. I have to, right? When I don't trust my source that God will provide for my needs, I have to do it myself. I got to hoard. I got to keep. But when I realize that my source is unlimited, that my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he's promised in his word that the righteous will never be forsaken or his seed begging bread, that, that God even sees a sparrow fall and he feeds the birds and he clothes the flowers. That's my God. That's my Savior. And he's promising me everything that I need. I don't have to worry so much about it. I can afford to be generous. When the financial pressures are on what do you do? Do you hoard? Or do you get generous? He's promised, as I said, to meet our needs. Matthew chapter 6 is loaded with this truth. He says that the Gentiles or the pagans seek stuff, but what Jesus' followers do is they seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is really hard for us. It is so much easier to trust a nice emergency fund there's nothing wrong with an emergency fund, but is that where your trust is at? Money makes itself wings and flies away. Don't trust an emergency fund. Don't hold on to it with all of your strength and hoard it. That's not trusting. You say, well, Brad, I'm just trying to be wise. Doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to be wise? Well, yes, but maybe you have trust issues. Like me. I got trust issues. I think it's up to me. God says, no, it's up to me. Trust me. You say, well, that's Old Testament. I don't know. Is that like does New Testament corroborate? First Timothy chapter six, verse 17, charge them that are rich in the world, this world. That's pretty much all of us that they be not high minded nor trust in their riches. Charge them. This was Paul's command to Timothy. This is what you should tell your church, Timothy. Stop trusting in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy and do good. Be rich in good works, ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Do you trust God for provision? Here's a great test. How much do I give away? How much do I give away? That'll tell you how much you trust. You say, well, what about the economy? It looks like it's going to take a turn for the worse. What do you trust in? Well, I'm going to trust God after the election. I need to see what happens. What do you trust in? Well, my job. I'm not sure. Like they've talked about some layoffs. I'm not. What do you trust in? Do you trust in God or do you trust in those things? James chapter 5 again, verse number 1. Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupt. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You've heaped up treasure together for the last days. What is James saying? He's saying that there's a curse on people who hoard their resources. Those resources are just rotting, and they're rotting the soul of the person who holds them. 
Luke chapter 12, remember Jesus said, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then he told the story about a guy who was doing really good. He was successful. And so he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a bigger barn and be even more successful and do something good. I'm going to provide for my children and I'm going to retire early and this is going to be fine. Jesus said, thou fool, tonight is the night your soul will be required of you. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, scripture is quite friendly to riches. Abraham was a very rich guy. Joseph ended up being a very rich guy. Daniel, pretty well off. I mean, you just kind of go through the list. You're like, well, these people, they had some resources. The Bible is friendly to the rich. As long as they are, what does it say? Rich toward God. That's where my trust is at. It is in my God. How many of you are okay admitting you're a Black Friday shopper? We've got a few Black Friday shoppers, you brave souls. Black Friday is sort of a metaphor for the American dream. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, like some people would say, oh, that looks like my life. Right? Like I'm just clamoring to box out whoever I need to box out so that I can get what I want. Out of life, out of my paycheck, out of the store, whatever. Everyone scrambling for more. And here's what the psalmist is telling us. You don't have to do that if you trust the Lord. You don't have to scramble for more. You don't have to box out others when you trust him. So let me just give you a couple of conclusions and we'll be done. Number one, learn to embrace God's commands for you as the best way to live. And can I just tell you real quick, I, we have a lot of guests here today and guests, I, I think it's, it's a responsibility of mine to tell you if you don't know Jesus as your savior, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that's really the only thing you need to hear today. Right? Just put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We all have a sin problem, every single one of us. We have to acknowledge that we have that problem and that we need rescued and that Jesus is the only solution for us and put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you have never done that, that is your trust issue today. Like, I need somebody to save my soul for eternity and I'm going to trust Jesus. That's your trust issue. But if you are a believer today, will you trust that God's commands for you are the best way to live? Will you learn the word of God and then commit to live it? And will you pass this on to your children? A life of trust is better caught than taught. Will you show your kids what it means to trust? This will be tested for you. And the older your kids get, I think for us, in our family, this has been more evident the older they get. When they watch mom and dad go through things that create challenges in our life and scare us, what are we going to do when life scares us? We're going to turn to God and say, well, we still trust him. You guys should do exactly the same thing. Learn to embrace God's commandments for you as the best way to live. Number two, find ways to let go of your self-securities. Find ways. Let me give you a couple practical things and please... Don't take offense at this. I know sometimes pastors get accused of talking about money all the time, but let me just give you a couple of practical ideas, just some thoughts. Okay? Maybe they're for you, maybe they're not. 
Find some ways to let go of your self-securities. Here's two ideas. Number one, bless the poor in your life. Bless them. How do you do that? Well, I heard of somebody doing this. They just every month transfer a certain amount of money out of one account into another account at their checking, in their checking account at their bank. And they just use that amount that they've transferred and they just bless somebody with it every single month or week or whatever. They just, I always have a fund going and when I hear that somebody has need, I just give it to them and help them out. That's a great idea. Or maybe carrying cash in your wallet. I just, none of us use cash anymore, right? Mostly. So, but what do you do with cash? Cash is a great gift. Hey, you know what? You look like you're in need. Let me part with this because I need to do that. Commentator John Phillips says, every believer ought to have some kind of personal program for giving to the poor. Every believer should have some kind of personal program for giving to the poor. And then secondly, do something now, now, like this afternoon, to invest tangibly in eternal priorities. Do something now to invest tangibly in eternal priorities. Like, for instance, you have a will. You have a will. Your will probably has uh, a way that the funds are divvied up. Can I just encourage you to give a chunk to the Lord? However, I'm not saying necessarily to this church. I'm just saying to the Lord, to his work. Give a chunk to the Lord. It gives your kids less to fight over. And it will be a great lesson for them in trust. Like mom and dad trusted the Lord all of their life and they demonstrated it with their money. You could even add a few thousand dollars to your life insurance. Cost you a few dollars a month right now. And make the Lord's work the beneficiary. And cause incredible eternal returns. I mentioned those to you just because I, I want to just put a little bit of handles on it. Some practical ways. I want you to think about like if I really do trust God. And if I really do want to live his word. And he really wants me to trust him. And one of the ways that I show that I trust him is by giving it away. How can I give away more And help those that are around me and advance the priorities of Jesus in my world. You might say, Brad, why would somebody do that? Why would you do that? Why would somebody do that kind of thing? Because of the God we serve. I want you to think about the God that we've studied now for the last several dozen weeks. The God of the Bible. He's the God who spoke the world into existence. I'm talking about the God who rescued Israel from Egypt with his strong hand. The God who parted the sea. The God who knocked down the wall of Jericho. The God who turned back the sun. I'm talking about the God who saved Jonah's life with a giant fish. The God that turned water into wine, opened blind eyes, caused the lame to walk, gave words to the mute, brought Lazarus back to life, defeated the age-old problem of sin, and raised himself from the dead. Talking about that God. He is God alone, and you can trust him. You can trust him. Do you know this old hymn? If you know it, sing it with me. It sounds like this. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Pray this as you sing it. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. 
Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Father, help us to trust You more. Help us to trust Jesus more. Lord, as we conclude our gathering together today, I ask that You would show us our trust issue. Lord, if there's someone here today who's never put their trust in your son Jesus for their eternal life and for forgiveness from their sin, would you help today to be the day? Would you help them to seek out myself or one of the other pastors or somebody to talk to about what it means to put their faith in Jesus Christ? Lord, don't let anyone leave today and not have that trust issue settled. But Lord, for the rest of us, would you help us to deal with our desire to live life our way, not your way? And our desire to supply our own needs and not lean on you? Convict us where we fall short. Help us to repent and get this right and live your word the week ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together as we close. So much easier to trust in a Savior who is eternally faithful. Let's sing this out as we close today. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. important thing our church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. 
The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you in person or virtually, depending on your situation. Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or, or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for his honor and for his glory.